Good morning and welcome. It's good to see everybody this morning as you're making your way in. I hope you got a bulletin and you'll be able to follow along in service. And I hope you brought your Bibles to follow along as we've been studying together. And uh, what a blessing that the writer of Hebrews would preach to us the importance of the temple, the tabernacle, the furniture. We're actually making reference this morning into some of the key issues of the entire book. Just what was the tabernacle, the tent, all about? How does it relate to us? And what is it that we now have to do in order to have what it was that the tabernacle was unable to do? I remind you this morning on several things as I wrestle in, in preaching all the times. It helps me more than you sometimes to have an outline of where I'm headed. And this morning as I wrestled with things, uh, putting it together and saying, what in the world am I going to do to communicate this? It's tough. And Lord, some of these issues are just about the past. And just what importance does that past have for us? And, but I still want to stick with the same structure behind it all and trying to explain the text in ways that we can apply it. And so this morning, I, bear, I want you to bear with me as we jump into the next chapter um, and begin to read and listen to what the writer is telling us in chapter 9 about the importance of the tabernacle. Now, I'll explain later as we go the word for tent or covering. I'll give you some of those words as to why different translations may have a different word there. Um, but the important thing this morning is that we understand, if you wish, um, the important role of the tabernacle and what it led to. It was not the end in and of itself. The tabernacle was not given to be a permanent place to bring us to God. We must understand that if the new covenant promise in Jeremiah that was to be fulfilled is going to take place, we're going to have to stop letting the old remain the focus of our worship. We're going to have to move beyond what it was that was there to imitate and to look forward to Christ and actually move to Christ. We're going to have to get to the point where we actually have an invitation so that we can come into the presence of Christ. This morning, my prayer for you is that this earthly understanding of a tent or tabernacle is no longer what's so effective in your life, but that you've come to a place where you realize we're in the time of reformation. Not the reformation of the time that you would think 500 years ago, but the biblical word that he gives us in verse 10. So please listen, and I challenge you in your life to ask yourself the question, Am I still being bound by the ways of the old? Or have I entered into an exciting personal relationship with God? He begins in chapter 9, verse 1, when he begins to tell us the importance of this holy place. He says, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. In the Greek, that's actually the earthly place of holiness. It's just one. For the tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold 
in which was a golden urn holding the manna Aaron's staff that had budded and the tables of the covenant, some would say the tablets of stone. Now I want you to circle that altar of incense behind the second curtain if that did not stir up your conscience. Verse 5, above it were the cherubim, the glory overshadowing the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant, these things we cannot speak in detail. But these preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he, but, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sin of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, the holy place. He then says this, this is a symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. But deal only with food and drink and baptismos, translated here, various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. You might ask yourself the same as we would do, what in the world? You're preaching a sermon, and why must we know all this stuff and all the furnitures and all the rituals and then not have an answer? Folks, verse 10 is actually a transition, just like in verse 6, where we move from all the functions that the priests are doing from the furnishings, and we move into the answer that is given, but we don't have that yet. You see, for the people who were living still in the previous age, if we could call it that, in their time, the previous age... They were still not able to do the things God wanted them to do. They were still stuck in a situation that needed to be changed. And the preacher writes them, the writer of Hebrews, and says, this present age must change. Now, we enjoy that. That's why he uses the word, it's amazing, as he begins to tell the whole story down when he says the Holy Spirit has used this. Folks, we're now talking at a time after Pentecost. He's writing this letter at a time in which the Holy Spirit has already been given and has now given us the understanding and wisdom of why God gave us the tabernacle in the first place. And it was never meant to be permanent. It had its shortcomings. So let me give you some of the furnishings, and then I want to talk to you about three things. One, this earthly holy place and its limitations. And then I want to talk to you about this earthly holy place and its imitations, what it was to pattern and show us. And then finally, I want to show you how this earthly place leaves us with an invitation that can change your life forever. And he begins with the furniture. Listen to what he says in this first place, this earthly tent. It's the word skene in Greek. It's the actual word that is anything that is covered and enclosed with canvas. We're not talking about the temple. He is not referring back here to Solomon's temple in which some things were different and laid out differently. He's not talking about the stone structure that became permanent. He's making a reference to the tabernacle, the tent, in which God showed Moses the heavenly sanctuary 
to build on earth. So what we're looking at is that which God had given us directly so that we could worship him. And it's behind this, he says, this tent was prepared, the first section, a lampstand, the table, the bread of presence, and it's called the holy place. And then he tells us this. And behind the second curtain, well, no, folks, he never tells us about the first curtain, but if there is a second curtain, there must be a what? A first. It's implied. And the first curtain is the one that separated the courtyard, the fenced-in area, from the actual holy place. It's the second curtain that separates the holy place where many priests and many functions take place on a daily basis from that which is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And located in that holy of holies and only in the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And so you must understand some tension in the language of the Greek here because listen to what it says in verse 3. Behind the second curtain was this section, the most holy place, having, he doesn't say placed in, and I'll explain in a minute, the golden altar of incense. That's not in the holy of holies. The golden altar of incense and some people have wrestled with, is what stands right outside the Holy of Holies. And every high priest who would enter into the Holy of Holies only once a year, and which day was that? Do you remember? The Day of Atonement. And only the high priest would come and take the altar of incense and not move it all, but would take the incense and burn it as he was supposed to and carry that incense into the Holy of Holies. And therefore, in this presence, listen to what the Greek says. He uses the word akuse here, which is this participle of saying he hasn't moved the in there, but having in the presence the Ark of the Covenant and the altar of incense burning. In other words, he's bringing us into the actual event that takes place when the high priest has moved in to intercede for you and I. That's the focus of the whole section. It's not about all the furnishings. It's not about what happens. Folks, they go in there, would take the table of the bread of the presence, and they would change it out every Sabbath day. They would rotate it out, put in pieces that would go up to seven more. They would go over to the lampstand and light those. They would go to the altar of incense and burn incense twice a day. The activity in the holy place was accomplished by many people in many different ways at many different times. But what matters is not the hustle and bustle outside the presence of God. What matters most is what takes place in the presence of God. And I could ask you real quickly, if I can, I'm not so concerned about the hustle and bustle that's taking outside the heart of your life. Oh, I can see from the outside of the things that are taking place that we all go through hustle and bustle. But what matters most is what's taking place on the inside, in the presence of the Father. Do you have what the high priest says is necessary to be with the Father? Oh, listen, he begins to tell us, he even says it this way. He's got this 
a golden covenant and the ark and everything that's there, Aaron's staff, the budded staff that was there, the tablets. Of the, he's giving you the details of the Holy of Holies. And then he says this, above it is the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the hilasterion, folks. Some people have said the lid. Some have called it the mercy seat. That is the exact same word that we get for propitiation in the New Testament. It is on the Ark of the Covenant. It is on this Ark that contained the bread, the staff, and the tablets of stone in which the mercy seat, the cover, was laden and had two cherubim facing each other, the winged creatures guarding the contents of what was inside. It was on this mercy seat that the high priest would come in, as it tells us here, in verse 7, not without having blood, and he would sprinkle it over that mercy seat, and the prayer would be, God, be merciful to us. Be mercy seated. Do not treat us for the brokenness in our unfaithfulness as represented by the manna, the staff, and the commandments. But be merciful to us and bring us into your presence through forgiveness. Propitiation. We have to have something propitiate us. Do you remember the story in the gospel when the two publican and sinner or the two people went down to the altar? Can't give you the exact testimony of where it is in scripture. One of the gospels, you might remember the story of the publican at the altar. When he gets to the altar or to the temple stairs, one begins to pray, and he says this. He looks over to the other person. Do you remember the story? And he looks around, and he says, God, I am so thankful that I am not like him. And then the one who's bowed down doesn't even look over at the other person, but rather looks upward into heaven, says this in Scripture. He takes his chest and he says, God, be what? Mercy seated to me. That's the translation. Why would he say, God, be mercy seated? We translate it merciful, but what he is saying is, God, treat me like you would when the high priest comes to the Ark of the Covenant and brings the sacrifice of blood and takes an offering that goes in my place so that when you would look down from heaven, you wouldn't see my brokenness and my unfaithfulness, but you would see the blood of the sacrifice and treat me differently. Be mercy seated to me in the presence of the Father. Oh, one thing is made clear in this room. Those cherubim, those winged creatures facing each other on the top of the lid, guarding and defending as they did in the Garden of Eden and will in the book of Revelation at the time of paradise. The access of God or to God was defended. One thing was made clear. In this holiest of holy places, on the Ark of the Covenant, over the mercy seat, this was God's throne on earth where he spoke to his servants and led them. And it spoke very clearly 
from the blue, red, and golden colored cloths that separated the rooms, one thing was clear. Do not enter. The holy of holies between God and his people separated. Do not enter. Access very limited. Let me speak to you for a moment about our holy place and its limitations. Because not everybody could come into the presence of God. Not everybody has the right to just walk into the presence of God. No different today. The Bible makes it clear. We have one mediator between God and man, and it is the man who? Jesus Christ. You cannot have access to the Father without him. When the Holy Spirit convicts you, he convicts you of your sin, of righteousness and judgment. He convicts you of your need for Jesus Christ. He convicts you of your need to confess him. And as the Holy Spirit works in your heart and you confess Jesus Christ and you realize he is Lord of all and he's claimed his lordship over you and you submit to him and you call out upon him and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you bow the knee as everyone shall do. You have access to the Father, but only because Jesus is there at the right hand of the Father, mediating for you. The limitations of this place, access denied. Do not enter. And for so many people today, we are still living in the outer courts. We've made our way to the holy place where there's all kinds of activity in our lives. Rituals that we perform, duties that we do, places we go and people we serve to daily remind us that we should be busy for God and have still not entered His presence. How close are you to the Father? Would your relationship with God be depicted by limitations? I know about God. I've heard about God. My friends talk about God. My church is all over God. We have all kinds of opportunities, and we know God loves people, and we know God saves people, and we know God hears our prayers. We know God loves us. We know God wants to accomplish his will in us. But is there ever just a me where it's just you and him alone at the place where propitiation has happened. We would call it today the foot of the cross where his blood was shed for you. Has it become personal yet? Do you experience his presence or is your life still full of the hustle and bustle of the busyness of the outer room? Nobody in the outer room, the holy place, the second room, divided by a curtain, has access to the Father. Oh, it was made very clear between the outer room and the inner room. 
between the holy place and the holiest of holies, between the first and the second, there was something very clear that separated us from God. And it wasn't the veil. It was our sin. The veil was only imitation of what was truly taking place in our lives. Oh, don't you think that because the veil has been torn that you automatically save? Don't think that because Jesus died on the cross that you automatically go to heaven. And don't think that because he carried the cross, because he shed his blood, because he was mocked and ridiculed, because he paid the price, because he was the propitiation for you, does not mean you're saved. If you've never entered the Holy of Holies, if you've never responded to the invitation, come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. He who shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. You see, as we look to the limitations, we begin to realize that this keep out is, so, is still so true in so many of our lives. We get so close to God, and then we stop. Our sin begins to separate us. He wouldn't love someone like me. He wouldn't bless someone like me. I'm willing to serve him, but I still want to do the things the way I want to do them. I still want to live my life the way I think is right. I still want to do things by my standard. I still like the busyness of church. I like to be involved in church. I like to be around church people. I like to be involved in the Bible studies and to learn about the Bible and to read about all the stories that have taken place. I like to be in the church realm. I like the outer room. I love that secondary place where the people are busy for God. But have you yet even peeked beyond your sin into the place of holiness? To see what it would be like to have someone who loves you for who you really are. Someone who would take away all your sins. Someone who would cleanse your conscience. Allow you to move forward. To know that nothing would hinder you from spending eternity with the Father. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to experience on earth the holy of holies to be right with God see the limitations were the problem why because now we realize that the tabernacle was really here for imitation it was there to be a pattern it was there to be an image it was there to show us the next step it wasn't there to be the permanence we weren't meant to just live on the outside we weren't meant to be excluded from God's presence we weren't made to be limited in his access we were created to be loved by God to be brought into his presence we were given a world to rule over we were given creation to bring to redemption through his blood we were there for all of us to come to spend eternity in what is known as the new world the new Zion the place of Israel of God's people you could put all those terms together God's designed us to be with him and if we understand how it is listen to the contrast verse 6 begins to tell us about how this works this imitation he contrasts the two realms 
He takes one and listen to what he says. These preparations that having thus been made, he's talking about now the duties that go on. Listen to what he says. We contrast the two holy places of ministries, the difference between outer and inner, impersonal and personal, public, private, holy, set apart, holy of holies, made right with God. Listen to the contrast. We learn about these things. First of all, he tells us many things. The priests go regularly into the first place. Listen to these three things I'll give you, these ministries. First of all, they always go in there. Listen to what it says. The preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly. Some have translated, they go always into the first section. That is the word diapontos, translated. They always go. It is through all the time. It's always happening. The first court, the, I mean, the, the first room, called the tent. It's really just the first section. It is the place that many priests come. Many duties are performed. It's a way that they could feel as the one at the altar would say when they walked into the holy place, God, I am so glad I'm not like them. When we walk through the doors of this sanctuary and we look back outside, God, I am so glad I'm not like them. Oh, it's no different. It's easy to feel right when you compare yourself to someone else in their sin and their lives. But to look up and to ask God to be mercy seated puts now your life in perspective of true holiness. Where do you stand in relation to God? How many of you measure up to God's character? How many of you deserve to be in his presence? How many of you could stand to even be there in a holiness of holies when you think about the things even this morning on the way through these doors, the things you've thought about, the things you've said, or even some of the things you've done? You see, it was there at the veil. It wasn't the veil keeping us out. It was how we approached God. Did we get to that holy of holies and then just turn around and compare ourselves to them? Or are we asking God to compare us in the place of this sacrifice? Which one brings us to eternity? You see, when you begin to compare, it wasn't just the many priests that are always going in this most holy place. It was also daily uh, that they would go in. In the outer courtyard, it was many. But in the inner side, the comparison is, how many go in? Just one. How many have made access into the presence of God, bringing bloodshed and sacrifice? How many have entered the true tent of heaven, the true picture in which the tabernacle was the imitation, the one in which Moses patterned his life after? Just how many people have entered the presence of the Father on their own bloodshed? Just what? One. Just one. Oh, our salvation wasn't in the high priest in the order of Levi. He's already made it clear. Our high priest comes from the order of Melchizedek, one who is a righteous king, 
one who would not just come with blood, but would bring his own blood. You see, the tabernacle was always an imitation to what was to come. It was always the foreshadowing of what we needed to come. It was always there to place us to recognize who would come so that we could be right with God. Oh, it is here that he writes, not only are they the many priests compared to one, but it's on the outer courtyard there was no sacrifice. I mean, in the outer room. Anybody could go exchange the bread, light the candles, offer the incense. There didn't have to be a sacrifice to get that far. But in order to get to the next room, there needed to be a sacrifice. Somebody had to take the penalty for the sins that we were bringing with us. Somebody had to be able to mediate and to intercede between God, his throne, and the people. Oh, there is one in heaven, only one, from the order of Melchizedek. We're putting all of Hebrews together now, and we're beginning to realize that when we look at the tabernacle, it was designed just like the law. It wasn't meant to be the fulfillment of itself. It was to lead us as a tutor to the one who would make us right, the one who could make us right. The tabernacle was not to lead us to how our worship should be. It was to lead us to recognize what our next step of worship should be and could be. We don't have to live alienated from the Father. We don't have to live in the outer courts. We don't have to live in the busyness of hustle and bustle. And we don't have to constantly worry about the sacrifice because we have one who has come, given his own blood, and as the high priest, made it available to us all. Oh, I like how it says it here. Verse 7, into the second and only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and I want you to circle that word of the negative, it is not without taking blood. If you do not have the blood of Christ, sprinkled over your life what it means to be baptized oh it doesn't matter the amounts of water just as it doesn't matter the amounts of blood what matters is are you trying to enter the high priest's position on your sacrifice or have you come under the blood of Christ and his sacrifice? Oh, it's amazing. It foreshadows all that we have. But it leads us to this. Listen to verse 8. The Holy, the Holy Spirit is now indicating, he's telling us, listen to this, that the way into the holy places has not yet been opened as it is the first section still standing. That word for standing there, if you wish, is the same word in the Greek for stasis. It means for functions, for still working, for still continuing. It's not because the tent was still standing and erect in the wilderness. It's because it's still functioning. What he was writing to his people then was as long as you're still carrying out the rituals of the old, you're never going to experience the new. As long as you're still living by the old, you're never going to understand the new. You can't still live in a world 
of the old and the priests and the busyness and have one person come and reconcile you to God only for a day because you would sin again and your conscience would not be clean. That's what the following verses in 11 and following will take us to. What we find here is this understanding that now the Holy Spirit says, listen to this, according to this arrangement, the gifts and the sacrifices are offered, but they cannot what? Perfect the conscience. Are you trying on your own to have a right standing before God? Do you really think that you have what it takes to step in the order of Melchizedek and function as the prophet, priest, and king in the presence of the Father? That's why you still feel so alone, abandoned empty because you cannot make it on your own you must have the sacrifice that the tabernacle foreshadowed imitated and longed for if you've never called upon Christ you've never been blessed you don't understand the new covenant you don't understand the freedoms. You don't understand the writing on our hearts. You don't understand his presence and his access for all of us to come. It's not the veil that keeps you out. It's your sin. It must be dealt with. And so we finally realize in verse 9 it is symbolic symbolic we're not saying it wasn't real we're saying that all along just as God would unfold his plan of redemption he took us along the journey giving us more and more in anticipation of what we really needed to lead us to Christ these sections of the tabernacle whether you call them the outer the inner the first the second the holy the most holy whatever you want to call them it's in this first section that we realize in the old we can never have a cleansed conscience folks you can't treat people a certain way and then say you're sorry and then feel good about it it does not cleanse the conscience just because you're sorry you cannot go on living a lie and then come back and say well let me tell you the truth and have a cleansed conscience that's not what sets you right you can confess your sins to one another all you want. Your shortcomings are not the issue. They've always been there. What matters is whether or not your conscience has been cleansed. Do you trust what Jesus has done for you? And that you can now openly and honestly go forward as a sinner trusting in his grace oh just as the old could not cleanse the conscience it was insufficient it was imperfect 
It was of the present age, not this age, but their age, the present age, the time of the tabernacle, the time before Christ. We get throughout scripture about this age and the age to come. We're not in this age. The present age is about still living in the old, the the rituals, the sacrifice, the ceremonials, trying to work our way into the presence of God. The gifts and the sacrifices were never enough. Only the bloodshed of Christ. So listen to what he says. We deal only with food, drink, and these washings and regulations of the body imposed until the time of reformation. Until the time of change. The time of Christ. What it really means. Deorthosis. If you're following along in verse 10. It is the word for reformation in which he reminds us that the word here means to rectify or to fix that which is damaged. During the time of the reformation, folks, we didn't come up with the gospel. We didn't change the gospel. We didn't write a new gospel. In the history of the reformation, we had forefathers who wanted to fix that which had been damaged. We wanted to fix that which needed to be changed. It was defective. It had been reworded and reworked, and they wanted to get back to what matters. And what the writer is saying to us is your life is not about all the paraphernalia that's going to bring you into the presence of God. It's all about what leads to the time of reformation in your life. From the time in which you move from the holy place to the holiest of holy place in which reformation and change fixes that which has been damaged, that which needs to be reworked because it's defective. Do you not see what the writer of Hebrews is doing? He's saying we can take the old tabernacle, the tent, and we can see just how God had used it to bring us into his presence so that everything that the people of the old long for is what the new covenant promise now brings to reality. He's here. He has come. He has provided. And we can have what is necessary. That's the invitation that comes from this old tent, this earthly house of worship. Yes, I remind you that the old had restricted access, and today it's unrestricted. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've thought, no matter what you've said, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Oh, Paul wrote it in Romans, and why many people think he wrote this one is because he says it so clearly that God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were what? Yet sinners. Christ died for us. You have a chance to go from the holy place to the most holy place. And to have a clear conscience. And to trust in the sacrifice and the bloodshed for you. Oh, there's an invitation 
It's not about the washings. It's not about the food and the drinks. It's not about all the stuff that took place in the outer room. Do you or do you not understand the inner wonderful feeling of the most holy of holies? Do you know Jesus Christ and what he's done for you? If you don't, I invite you to come to Jesus Christ to understand his sacrificial giving, the radical change that he makes in your life, and how he's not dealing with a curtain, but with your sin, so that you can have a clear conscience. Oh, the next time we go farther, I'll show you just exactly what Christ did do in order to make it possible. If you want to read ahead, you can. It might be a couple weeks, because next week, Brother Phil is going to come and share with us, as he has always done through his internships and his time in seminary. And he's going to bring you a message from 1 John, the importance of what it means to have a right relationship. And then I'll be back to show you just what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for that most holy place. That from the beginning it was already planned for us. And that you would take us from the journey of the outer fields and deserts to place us in a courtyard where we would be made aware and to move us to that holy place where we could be set apart for you. But Father, we want to be in the most holy of holies. And it only comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to call upon him to confess our sins where you can be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I receive a benediction from 2 Thessalonians. Paul writes this, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us by his grace, gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your heart and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.